Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. The Lord spoke that through the prophet Isaiah, chapter 41, verse 10. It's an amazing promise that I cling to and that propels me in my life. And it is the focus of this podcast, the Gaining Strength podcast. Welcome to our podcast today. And we pray that you will find strength in the midst of what you hear this day. God bless you. tonight will help embed in you the purposes of God, will help embed in you the ways of God, and will help shift you from from the perspective of the world into the perspective of the kingdom. Uh, A few days ago, actually, I was in my my devotions with the Lord, and, and the Lord brought back a memory of a way I used to think. And and I'm a little ashamed to share with you, but it was a worldly perspective. And uh, I'm going to share that with you just because for contrast, to help you see the spirit of the world and then the spirit of God, okay? And so the Lord brought back to my my memory uh, some of the things that I have thought and felt about little babies. So when a baby's born into your family and you hold that baby for the first time and you have this it's, 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 it's an awe, it's an endearment, it's a bonding that you're bonding heart to heart and you love this baby right off and you think, this baby's precious, this baby's perfect, this baby brings hope to our family. But then, this is again my worldly thinking, as, as me being a teacher and I've, I've seen the children come up through school, you know, I, I taught special education for my first year, I taught fourth grade and then I taught sixth grade and and I've worked with high school students and youth and all kinds of things. And so it seems like from the perspective of the world and some of the parents that I have encountered, it's like they grow from being a perfect little baby to, to finding out what their faults are, to finding out where they're weak, to start labeling, oh, this is a selfish child, or this is a child who's argumentative. Or, and, and you start... You know, even in the school system, it seems like the, a lot of times they're, they're testing what they, you know, they want to test everybody so they can find out and label you as learning disabled or label you as emotionally disturbed or label you as this or label you as that. And then they offer no solutions. They don't have any real help. I mean, sometimes you can encounter a teacher that will bring real help to your child and, and boy, So don't you feel depressed after what I just shared? (laughs) But the Lord brought that memory back of the way I used to think about those things and the spirit of the world, the spirit of of a corrupt mind or corrupt heart. But then God reminded me that he's a transformer. He's a healer. He's a deliverer. He's a savior. He's a redeemer. And everything that he shares that is from his heart and from his will is restoration, transformation. He has all the solutions. He has all the answers that are real answers. And and what he said to me that day as he's talking to me about, and he's saying to me, be of a transformational spirit. Be like me. 
be of a transformational spirit. And that's, that's the focus of tonight, of what I want to share, is, is, is transformation, the Lord's transformation. And let's begin with another school memory. We used to play a game. I don't know if any of you have played it before. It's, it's called Octopus. And uh, we would choose a, a child to be the octopus, kind of like it in a tag game. And the kids always wanted to, wanted to have that part because they could get a ball and they could, you know, throw a ball and hit each other. And they loved that, right? <laughs> so, so you'd be in a big gymnasium and all the kids would be lined up on one side of the, of the gym. And then the child that had the ball with, that would be octopus, he's trying to tag people, right? And so he can either tag them with their hand or he can tag them by throwing the ball at them and hitting the ball. Now, if the child gets tagged or hit with the ball, then all of a sudden they become a part of the octopus. And from right on, those kids start tagging other kids who become a part of the octopus. And, and the kids that were all on one side of the wall, when, when the teacher says go, they have so many seconds to either run to the other side or walk to the other side, or dance or skip to the other side. However they can get to the other side, they have to go. And, and so in between, the octopus is trying to tag them and trying to reach them. And, you know, when you get from one wall to the other wall, you're free. You're in the space where you can, you can sort of hide out for a while. But eventually, as you can imagine, the game ends up with everybody becoming a part of the octopus, everybody getting tagged, everybody being a part. And... Our life, our life in Christ is the same way. Once you get tagged for Jesus, you become a part of the work that he's doing. And that's God's goal, is that, you know, we would get tagged, become a part of what he's doing, and then start tagging other people and bringing them in, into the work. And, and that, in a nutshell, is what's happening in our life, right? And that's what we're supposed to be about. We're supposed to be about being connected to him and bringing other people to him. And so kids can understand that. You can understand that. That's a very simple description of, of what it is to, to become a disciple of Jesus. And you think of being a disciple, they're a learner, they're a follower, and, and in reality what they're to become is an imitator or uh, a representation of who he is to those people that are in your, you know, just like the game. Whoever's close to you, that's who the Lord wants you to be tagging. That's who the Lord wants you to be reaching in, in your space, where, wherever you are. And so a disciple needs to have that mentality, needs to have that from, from the moment you become or begin to become being transformed to becoming a part of the transformation and you being a transformer too, a part of what he's doing. And there's a, uh, a quote I wanted to read. I don't usually bring my phone up here, but I want to read a couple of things to you tonight. One is it's from a website called thattheworldmayknow.com, and it's just a small portion of, of the goal of being a disciple, and the writer is comparing what it was in Jesus' day to have a rabbi and a rabbi that has disciples. And, and the word that they are using for disciple is, is, I don't know if I'm saying it right, Talmud. 
and, and Talmudim is the plural of that. I am on the end of a Hebrew word is, makes it plural. And so a Talmud or a disciple, let me just use disciple in place of that word. A disciple wants to be like the teacher, right? That is so to become what his teacher is. That meant that students were passionately devoted to their rabbi and noted everything he did or said. They watched the rabbi. They watched the rabbi not just to watch him, but to study him so that you could begin to imitate him. So they watched everything. This meant that the rabbi and the rabbi-disciple relationship was a very intense and personal system of education. As the rabbi lived and taught his understanding of the scripture to his students, they would listen, they would watch him, they would imitate him so that they could become like him. Eventually, they would become teachers and pass on the same lifestyle to their disciple. Same idea as the octopus. Tagging, only this involves imparting. There's an impartation from the rabbi to the student so that that student could eventually do the same thing for somebody else. And it, and it becomes a continual thing. A, we could call it a generational thing, okay? Where the lifestyle of God gets imparted one to another. And then... I want to talk about a couple of Greek words, and it's dealing with the transformation word. And so the, the one Greek word is uh, related to our word. We talk about the life cycle of butterflies, the metamorphosis word. And I'm going to use our English word, metamorphosis. And, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but I just want to remind you what that word means. And so let's take a look at, briefly, at Matthew 17, 2. Matthew 17 is uh, talking about the transfiguration of Jesus. I'm going to start with one. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured, is the word my Bible says. Does yours say that too? Transfigured. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. And I want to zoom in on the transfigured word because that really is what it means in English, the metamorphosis. It's like he morphed or he, he transformed, he changed. And, and it describes the appearance that, that Peter and James and John saw, that his face began to glow. Even his clothes were glowing because of the transfiguration or the transformation that was happening right before their eyes. That same word, that metamorphosis type of word that means change is the exact same word that's in Romans 12. We're going to go to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be, what word is that? Conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. 
the same word that was used to describe the transfiguration of Jesus, it's the same Greek word here where it uses the word transformed. So renewing your mind according to the scriptures, renewing your mind according to what the Spirit of God is showing you, is transforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. And, and, and we step back and we're like, like in a holy awe of that, that that could happen to us. And a lot of times our mentality, it's, it's like, oh, I don't deserve that. Oh, you know, and, but it's not about that. It's like, I don't deserve to be up here. It's not about me not, not being deserving of this place. It's about the will of God for us, the purposes of God for us. You know, those old things of not being worthy, of not being whatever, that once you come to Christ, once you're washed, once you're filled with the Spirit, all that falls to the ground like chaff, like dust. doesn't matter anymore. Whatever you think should disqualify you. And so, so this, this sense, this mind of, I'm not worthy, I should be disqualified, that stuff, if it's coming around back in your head, reject it. That's the enemy. The enemy's trying to use your past to keep you down. But no, the Lord is transforming you. He wants to put the image of God, the imprint of God on you because that's how he designed you in the first place. Back in... Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Remember we talked about God has a mandate for you and for me that we be in, in deep, intimate fellowship with him because we were made in his image and that we become fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with the images of God and that we have dominion, not the kind of dominion you see from the world that's oppressive, but the kind of dominion that is blessing, that is mentorship, that is stewardship, the kind of, of, of dominion that brings together all of us into fruitfulness and truly making what we see in, in the Garden of Eden, making it a paradise or a garden here. And God's goal of this, of this dominion, this godly kingdom of God dominion, this idea of God has never changed. It's just that in, the, in very simple terms, we have God's beautiful, amazing creation, corruption entered, and corruption, if you remember, corruption in, in its basic sense means broken. Corruption entered and broke what God ordained, and then the thousands of years plan that God's been working out to restore us back to to what he designed in the first place. And we get to be a part of that. Being a part of, you consider it God's army, being a part of, of his garden, gardeners and bringing the restoration. And so being transformed, he is transforming us, right? Can you look back at your, at your life over the years in Christ and can you see where you were and where he's brought you, what, was, what things were like before and what things are like now. And if you don't see a difference, you probably need to go to God and talk to him about that. Maybe there's something in there that he's still working on. He's trying to put his finger on and maybe you've been avoiding it. Maybe you've been trying to hide from it. But he's, he's a transformer and he wants you to become a part. And that morning when the Lord was 
reminding me of these things and showing me about the transformation, the Lord was saying to me, Cheryl, will you be on my team? Will you be on God's team for transformation? That's what he wants. He wants us to, to graduate from this place of, oh, he's transformed me. And, and hallelujah, that's, that in itself is amazing and awesome. But he wants us to go from just being in the process of being transformed to becoming a part of his team of transforming. You know, you become a part of the octopus where you start tagging people and help bringing them in. And, and you're a part of bringing the transformation. And we're going we're gonna to focus on that tonight. So there's one more word I wanted to look at. And let's, let's find it in Romans. Oh, oh, about the metamorphosis word. I have one more scripture. 2 Corinthians 3. But we all, with unveiled face... Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being what? Are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. What image are we being transformed into? Christ. And he doesn't want you to hide that. And, and a lot of us, because of the situations that are going on around us, some of us have gone into hiding. Some of us have separated ourselves from the situations that we're in in the world and and I have to confess, when I, you know, I retired from teaching in 2015, I had 33 in public schools, one in a private school. But towards the last, I don't know, 10 years of my teaching career, things in public school got harder and harder. And boy, am I thankful I am not there now from one of the things that they're facing. It got harder and harder to be in public school. And, and I... I felt like at times, you know, what's, what's the image of the little boy that puts his finger in the, in the, in the dam that's about to break or, or something? I felt like that. Like I was just holding back a, a wall. And, and if that's what I was supposed to be doing, I, I wanted to get out. I didn't want, the last, the last, especially the last five years of teaching, I couldn't wait till I got to the, my mark where I could retire penalty-free and, and be out of there. But now looking back, you know, I still had good teaching years left in me. But I, I let this, I want to flee from this because it's hard. I let that take over. You know, maybe the Lord, you know, I say maybe, I should say yes, the Lord had me there to hold back some stuff. And, and, and I didn't have the right attitude about it. I didn't have the right courage about it. You know, maybe the Lord really wanted me to stay there longer to help hold back some of the forces of darkness that were there. And maybe he has you in a place where you're uncomfortable and it's hard and you feel like you're fighting all the time just to, just to maintain your place. But the Lord may have purpose in that. And, and so don't get out too soon. I, I'm sorry, I got off on the point. Let's go back to verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Well, who do you see when you look in a mirror? You look in the mirror, you're looking at yourself, right? But what's happening when you look in the mirror? This says, you see in the mirror the glory of the Lord. Do you see the glory of the Lord on your life? You see the glory of the Lord and what he's done for you? Can you look in the mirror and with a very humble, humble spirit, just say, thank you, Jesus, 
for who you are and what you've done in my life and what you're doing, what you're about to do. And, and how does that happen? It says, you're being transformed into the same image, the image of Christ, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So the Spirit of God is at work in your life, and he's bringing you from glory to glory, meaning, I think, you know, someone else can add to this, but I think he's really, he could say this as from revelation to revelation. Because every time he gives you a revelation, if you receive it, if you take it, you begin to apply it, you begin to work with it, then that revelation works in you, works through you. What's that line, Sheila, you, you, the Lord showed you? Lifestyle Lord spoke to her a direct word, and she's been chewing on it for years now. Still getting, yeah, four years. Lifestyle is learned revelation. Direct word from God to Sheila, meaning... If we receive the revelation from God and we've really learned it, then we're living it as a lifestyle. And if you do live it, it'll never fade away. If you, if you, if you get the revelation from God and you think, wow, that's really wonderful, that's beautiful, you write it down in your journal and then you close your journal and you don't do anything with it. It's not very long before you've lost it. And it's like the wind that carried something away. And it's very, very difficult to get back unless you, unless you humble yourself and you repent and you say, Lord, I'm going to try again to put that into practice in my life. From glory to glory, from revelation to revelation. And Pastor Bill, you have a, something about we're not changed by information we're changed by revelation and the transformation. Is you got three words: information or education, tr- revelation and transformation. How's that go? Information. You have to have information. Okay, information. Doesn't, doesn't bring transformation. Only revelation does. Yes, revelation that you have grabbed hold of, said yes and amen to, and put it to work in your life. And really. The demonstration of your faith, the demonstration that you believe the revelation that he gave you, is you're obeying it. You're walking it out. You're working it out. And that is how transformation happens. From glory to glory, from revelation to revelation. You know, we've talked before. You can give information. You can educate somebody. And in their mind, they know stuff. But if it has not impacted their heart or our hearts, if it hasn't gone deep into our spirit, if it hasn't gone deep to that place where love exists in your heart, where love dwells, that's why I tell the little ones, your, your spirit is that place where you feel love. You can't really define that for a little child, but that's the best thing I could come up with. That deep place where love dwells inside your heart, that place is your, is your spirit, your inner being, your heart. And if the revelation God gives you doesn't change that, then you need to go back to the drawing board. You need to go back to, to the beginning and say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me again. I'll, I'll do better this time to put that into practice. So we're changed. We're transformed. And then the word conformed. We highlighted that word conformed in one of the other verses we read. Take a look at Romans 8.29. How are we doing? We okay? Romans 8, 29. And we're looking at the word conformed here. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And the reason why I often look up what the Hebrew or Greek words are is because sometimes it, it gives me a deeper meaning. It gives me something different or something fresh that might not grab a hold of me with the English word. This, this word conformed is, is the word in Greek. It looks like sum morphos, okay, S-U-M. S-U-M. S-U-M is a prefix or a compound word that means in union with, in union with. So morphos is changed. So changed in union with, okay? You can be changed or be formed in union. And so it says, let's, let's look at the verse. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed. But let's say it this way. Predestined to be changed in union with the image of his son. And so what God is doing, how he's transforming you, is connecting you to his son. In union with Jesus, he's able to put his image on you. In union with Jesus, you receive back the image of God. We were made in the image of God, created in the image of God, but we got broken by sin. But when we, when we get joined with Jesus... The image of God comes back on us. It was meant to be there. It's the spirit of God. And so you are jointly formed by being connected to Jesus. You're, you're formed together with him. It's, it's the same, same word in Philippians 3.21. Let's quickly go there. Philippians 3.21. Well, let's, let's start in, in 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform, that's the metamorphosis word, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity. That's the morphos. That's the together with Jesus. That's the jointly formed together. And so our body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. He's going to join us with his glorious body or his glorified body by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So powerful words there. And this, let's go to 2 Corinthians 5.16 now. 2 Corinthians 5.16 Verse 16, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation or new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. That speaks of transformation, does it not? What you once were, you are no more. The old things have passed away. New things have come. You are a new creature when Christ comes in you. You are a creature that has the stamp of the image of God upon your life once Jesus has joined you together with him in spirit, in spirit. And so we receive Christ. The seed of Christ, the word of God enters in. We expose ourselves to the light of God, to the water of the Holy Spirit, and to that, that nurturing in us, and, and the seed of Christ begins to grow in us. We renew our mind. 
with the Spirit and the Word. We abide in Him, and He and us join together with Him, and we respond. We respond to Him in surrender, in obedience, in love, and incrementally over time, the Holy Spirit, the great transformer with a capital T, He does His work inside of us and transforms us by exposure to Him, by face-to-face or heart-to-heart encounters with Him, He empowers us. He empowers us to change. He empowers us to obey God. He empowers us to be a witness and to share this transformation that has happened to us with others. Uh, Ruth Haley Barton, you might want to, if you're interested, check her out. She has a lot to say about this transformation process. But... She talked about how the Word of God empowers us, and I'm adding in the Holy Spirit with that because I think the two must be together. If you get just Word, you can turn into a Pharisee, but the Word with the Holy Spirit, He works love into that because love actually builds you up, whereas knowledge, just what? The Word says puffs you up, right? So the Holy Spirit and God's Word empowers us. Now, here's here's her exact words to actively and successfully resist conforming to the world. You know, prior to knowing Jesus, resisting the world was almost impossible. But with the Spirit of God and the Word of God, we have been empowered or are being empowered to actively, successfully resist conforming to the world and actively and successfully seek transformation with this goal. This goal is apprehending our hearts for a full surrender. You know, if you're, I don't know about you, but I find in my life that I surrender fully as much as I know how, and then a little while longer goes by and I realize I need to surrender more, or I need to surrender again, or I'm not sure, but I've given my life to Christ, but I find that there's parts of me that have not yet been transformed. Does that happen to any of you? Yeah, and so his goal is to, is to apprehend us for full and, and total surrender when, when we're in his hand. And it's, it's not the kind of render, surrender that's forced. Holy Spirit doesn't do that. It's a surrender that you give willingly because you love him. Um, true story in my life. Uh, most of you know I'm, I'm single, never married, but there were a, a two or three gentlemen that were possibilities of, of marriage in my life over the years. I uh, was one young man when I was in my 20s and when I was in my 30s. And the one that um, I'm speaking about now in my 30s, uh, his mother was another teacher at my school. He had broken up with this other girl, her son, and she thought it would be good to get us together, so... She did that, and we went out a few times. He was a Christian. He was a farmer. I was, uh, I liked him. He was cute, <laughs> and, it, and it seemed like a good fit. So we, we'd gone out a few times, and things were going really good. I remember one particular night, we, we drove all around Sussex County one night just talking about the Lord, talking about missions work, and I was sharing my heart for, for that, and it was a really sweet time, but... Sometime after that, I was in prayer at night, and I sensed this from the Lord. 
will you let me take your feelings for David from you? And it, it, it shocked me, and it made me cry, and there uh, was a bit of a wrestling thing and in, in my heart, in my mind, because, you know, I wanted what I wanted. And, um, but I came to the place where I just, I said these words. I said, yes, Jesus, because I love you more. And so my surrender to what he asked me became easier to do because I loved him, because I loved Jesus, because I've given my life to Jesus. He's, he's the Lord of my life. And if he decided that was what was best for me, then I was willing to say, yes, I'll let you take my feelings for David from me. And the amazing thing was, it was not one, even one day or two days I felt that was gone, that he actually took it from me. I don't know how he did it or what happened, but he did it. And the Lord was really protecting me because the girl that he'd broken up with before, he ended up getting back together with her, and in about two months' time he was engaged to her. And so had I, I, had I not surrendered to the Lord, it would have been a very hard, perhaps even ugly, ugly thing. And, and so I share that as the Lord wants to bring us to this place of, of surrender where even if he asks you something hard, you can trust him and know that he has your best in store. There's a, there's a quote by this Ruth Haley Barton I want to read to you. And this is a little bit... Uh, heady, so to speak, so I'm going to read it twice through and real slow. But this is a quote from her directly. Thus, any approach to transformation that seeks to bring about real change must go beyond merely grasping information at the cognitive level to a full knowledge that impacts our deepest inner orientations and our trust structures our false self-patterns, and any obstacle that prevents us from fully surrendering to God. And so that, that true transformation can happen in your life when you're willing to surrender, when you're willing to let him change the way you think, the way you behave, the way you respond, when you let him change what were your plans for your life, and you release them to give to give yourself to what his plans for your life are, no matter how different they are from what you thought your life should be. And so she describes this. I'm going to read it one more time. Thus, any approach to transformation that seeks to bring about real change must go beyond merely grasping information at the cognitive level to full knowledge that impacts our deepest inner orientations and trust structures, false self-patterns, and any obstacles that prevent us from fully surrendering to God, powerful. And of course, we've talked about the goal of transformation. The goal of God transforming our lives is to make us into the image of Jesus. And so as we grow, as transformation is happening to us, over time, incrementally, 
we start looking more and more like Jesus. And as we're looking more and more like Jesus, he is not only putting himself in you, but you are starting to feel like really alive, like really full of your purpose, free from the things that hindered you. And you start to become fully actualized, like this is who I was meant to be. And there's a joy inside of your life that cannot be replicated any other way. It comes from him helping you become who he meant you to be through full surrender, through Christ being formed in you, and you becoming fully actualized as a son or daughter of God. And, and this, this, this purpose of transformation, the goal of transformation, I, I want to I stress one more scripture, and then I'm going to come into a, a, a summary or an ending. Look back at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and I want to look at verse 19. I love, love, love this verse. It says, For the anxious, the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God, or daughters of God. I think I can add that, the sons and daughters of God. The creation waits. You know, the creation saw what happened, experienced what happened in the corruption of sin. You know, we, there's a chapter in Isaiah that talks about when the lion lies down with the lamb, when a child can play next to a, a, a cobra's hole and not be injured, when, when the, the wolf and the, the lamb can dwell together, and, and we call that the peaceable kingdom. That's what God's creation, I believe, was like in the beginning. All animals were at peace with one another, all people were at peace with one another until sin entered and that corruption came. But for when the sons and the daughters of God are truly revealed, there's going to be a healing, a major healing, a major transformation as God restores the earth. And we get to be a part of that. We are to be a part of that. And the beginning part comes when you begin to realize, you, when, when it begins to be revealed to you, who you really are in Christ. There was, I heard some quote that C.S. Lewis had written. I, haven't, I didn't actually read this myself, but I just heard that he said it or wrote it, that if we could see now what we are really like when Christ is fully formed in us, we would be tempted to fall down and worship us. What, what I'm trying to say is, who Jesus is making us to be, who he's transforming us into is way, way, way far greater than what you can even imagine right now. And the creation is anxiously longing for us to be revealed into that because it's going to transform the whole earth. It's going to transform probably all, all of creation. And, and so my encouragement, I'm hoping that this word tonight is is making you encouraged towards this process of transformation. You know, really being able to, to say, you know, when you're struggling at that hard, hard decision of this is the will of God, but this is what I want. This is the same thing that happened in the garden with Jesus. You know, he didn't want to be separated from his father. He didn't want the 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 pain and the agony of the cross, he was like, isn't there any other way? But not what I will, but what you will. 
that, that fullness of surrender. And, and to learn that it's a beautiful and amazing thing that brings us not only to being transformed ourselves, it makes us into the image of his son and helps us to be a part of his transform, transformational work in the earth. Due to time, I'm not going to go there. You can jot this down and look at it later, but Matthew 5 13 to 16, if you're taking notes, Matthew 5, 13 to 16, it's the verse where Jesus is saying, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You know, while he was in the world, he was the light of the world, but he was going away and he's saying, you're the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. Don't cover it up. Don't hide who you are in him. Don't do it. Let people see your good works because it glorifies Jesus. It glorifies God. And then Ephesians 2.10. Again, I'm not going to go there, but Ephesians 2.10 says, you and I were created in Christ, that jointly connected to Christ. You were created in Christ for good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. I like to imagine there's a book up in heaven that has Mark Bennett's name on it, and it's got filled with stuff that God's planned for Mark. You know? There's a book up there with Linda's name on it, and it's filled with stuff that she can do, she's to do, that God wants her to do as Jesus grows inside of her, as he lives inside of her. God has prepared good works for us to do, works that are helping transform right where we live, be transformers. How many of you know what Luke 4.18 says? Jesus stood up in the synagogue, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to do what? Preach the good news? Open blind eyes, set the captives free. Now, I'm going to close with with this verse. Let's go to Isaiah 61, because that's where that scripture was taken from. Jesus was quoting Isaiah 61 in that place where he was at the beginning of his ministry, because he says, he said, at that moment, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Probably one of the greatest turning points in history when Jesus spoke the word of God and became it. He made that word become flesh in his own life. And here it is, Isaiah 61. And I'm going to read 1 through 4. Make a few comments and then we'll close. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations and they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Now, in verse 3, where it says they will be called oaks of righteousness, and in verse 4, where it says they will rebuild the ancient ruins, who is the they? 
It's us. If you go back to the beginning, in verse 1, it's the brokenhearted that got healed. It's the captives that were set free. It's the poor and the afflicted that got the good news preached to them. It's them who received of his healing, of his freedom, his deliverance, of this transformation, and then they become the ones who become the oaks of righteousness. We become the ones who become the oaks of righteousness. And then it's our role, the transformational role we join in with him. We are the ones who are rebuilding the ancient ruins. We are the ones who are raising up the former devastations, repairing the ruined cities, and healing the desolations that have happened for generations. This is what we're called to. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm called to this. I'm called to this. this. Will you grasp hold of that? I'm called to this. This is what the purpose of my life is for. This is what the purpose of my salvation should bring about, the transformation that he's bringing about in us. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the amazing things that you are doing for us personally. And Father, for what you've called us to, what you've put inside of us that we should be about. And Father, as we sit here tonight, Lord, I rebuke any foul or wicked thing that would be speaking to your people and telling them they're not worthy. I rebuke anything that would tell them they're disqualified from this. I rebuke any word that is saying they're not worthy. And Lord, I lay claim to your word that says you became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. I declare that in Jesus Christ, as you are united with him, you are righteous, you are called, he is forming you to be an oak of righteousness, as this word declares. He is calling you to rebuild He is calling you to heal. He's calling you. In Jesus' name, Lord, let this word become personal for us. Father, help us to receive the revelation and to put it to work in our lives. Help us, Lord God, when we come face to face with a difficulty for us to yield and to hear what you're saying and to yield to you. Help us, Lord God, by your spirit to know that when we encounter a sick person, you want us to believe you that you're going to heal that person through us. You want us to believe that we can speak the answers at the school board. We can speak the answers to our leaders and our politicians. We can lead in our communities in righteousness. Father, help us to become engaged in this work of transformation, in gratitude and humility for what you've done for us. Lord, help us to tag other people and bring them to you, and be about your business, Lord God. Lord, I bless your people in your name this night, and let this word settle in their hearts and produce fruit. Let Jesus be glorified in us and in this house. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Gaining Strength podcast today. It is my prayer that you have been encouraged and edified by this message. And may the Holy Spirit continue to strengthen you as he builds us up into the body of Christ. If you would like to share a prayer request or a concern, I can be reached at the following email address. 
gainingstrengthpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Cheryl Truitt, your host for the Gaining Strength Podcast, and may you be strengthened as you walk in love, truth, and faith. Thank you.